Diverse voices. Unique sound. Not the same old thing. Different. Different. This is NOCO FM. Welcome to Connecting a Better World, where we spend time meeting some of the most incredible human beings who make this world a better place. We will learn how each individual took their ideas, mission, and purpose to create and serve others in business and organizations that surround social good, social entrepreneurship, and social impact, and find out how we, together, can further connect others to help. I am your host, Dr. Natalie Phillips. Today, we will be talking with Lance Allred, the first deaf player in NBA history, international and online keynote speaker, TEDx speaker, leadership consultant, visionary, motivator, and best-selling author. Lance was born legally deaf with 80% hearing loss into a fringe polygamous commune in rural Montana, where he and his family lived until managing to escape when Lance was 13. With his characteristic courage and grit, he eventually overcame tremendous odds and obstacles to join the Cleveland Cavaliers, making the NBA at the age of 27. Lance founded Courage and Grit, a nonprofit organization using sports, the arts, and motivational speaking to inspire overlooked and underserved youth, including deaf and hearing impaired, First Nations, refugee, immigrant, inner city, rural, low income and or special needs by giving them opportunities to attend sessions and camps facilitated and organized by world-class athletes and artists at no charge. The goal is for these students to take what they've learned and in turn help coach special or other needs kids engaging in environmental stewardship as a form of giving back and learning the power of service and gratitude, which are foundations for their future success as leaders in their own communities. Super excited to introduce my guest today to my listeners, Lance Allred. Welcome to the show. Hi, Natalie. It's nice to actually finally meet you after we've been friends on digitally for what, over a year now? Yeah, I'm so excited. I was so excited about today. Um, And I have been watching you and you do some incredible things. But before we get to that, I'd love for you to just kind of share your story with my listeners. Um, It's pretty incredible, your story. And it's very multifaceted. And I'd love for you to introduce yourself to my listeners. Oh, okay. Uh, let's see if I can sum this up quickly. Um, uh, my little claim to fame is being the first legally deaf player in the NBA with 80% hearing loss. I couldn't play basketball. My hearing is in due to sweat and concussion issues. And the reason why I have the hearing loss is I was born and raised and frankly, it was a polygamous cult in rural Montana. And they didn't think about things called the RH factor then. That my mother was a negative, I was a positive, and her body was killing me off as a parasite. And we didn't have modern medical technology. I was born in my grandmother's bedroom. And my mother took me out of the commune when I was very lethargic, yellow, jaundiced. Um, I was just a day old. And took me to tiny Hamilton, Montana, where there is a resident who specialized in RH from Johns Hopkins University because he was an RH baby himself. 
so dumb luck and i was in an incubator for uh let's see about three weeks and i had several blood changes we're not just not just transfusion but changes to wash out my mother's white blood cells in my body and we're not sure if the nerves in my ears are never fully developed because of RH or if they were damaged during the blood changes we don't know um but being born in rural montana the only deaf kid within 50 miles uh, there were no amenities to learn sign language so in the early 80s i was fitted with the big giant hearing aids over my ears the blasted analog sound um and constant splitting headaches i hated my hearing aids and it was a speech therapy until i was 15 years old uh, three times a week to learn to speak this way and when I was 13, my father blew the whistle on child abuse and money laundering in our society, our polygamous society. And we went into hiding for about six months. And that eighth grade year, I grew from 5'10 to 6'4. And then we settled in a new part of Utah, uh, Salt Lake City, Utah, at a new school. And I didn't have any friends, or, and so the coach high school basketball coach saw me walking down the hall one day and he's like, Hey, you're tall. You should come play basketball. I was like, yeah, sh sure. I've never played before. My inner ear balance was atrocious. Um, and I couldn't play with my hearing aids and due to sweat and concussion issues. I, I tried uh, at the beginning and I had the hard medium sized one on the inside of the ear and I was head butted and the hearing aid shattered in my ear canal and I had several stitches down there and a concussion. And so I just had to learn to play without them and learning to play in a very different way, keeping my head on a swivel, mm -hmm. developing the peripheral vision, playing it with a soft focus so I could absorb everyone's body language, intuiting mm -hmm. what they were telling me. And little by little, um, my high school coach met me for three years at 6 a.m. before school every morning. Coach Carrie Rupp. He's now at Oregon State University. And he taught me to utilize those disabilities, quote, that I had to see that they were going to give me a leg up on everybody else if I chose to play the game in a different way, like a game of chess, not trying to fight fire with fire and be like everybody else. And I was eventually given a scholarship to the University of Utah in 1998 and was there for about two years. Um, and my coach at the time, his mother had cancer and he began to unravel. He wasn't doing well. But this also was a testament to some of the beliefs that people have still towards coaching and motivation that um, my coach had his lineup on a baseline one day and he was cussing us out. And he looked at me and said, Lance, you're the worst of all. You, uh, you use your hearing as an excuse to weasel your way through life and you're just a disgrace to cripples. And if I was in a wheelchair and I started playing basketball, I'd shoot myself. Now, as a 39-year-old man, I'd laugh if someone said that to me. But when you're a 19-year-old kid and you're taught to be a gladiator and people don't care about your feelings, you just internalize it and shut down. And he was the highest paid government employee for the state of Utah. And it wasn't discrimination. Uh, sexual harassment is not discrimination. It is, however, against the law. Um, 
bullying or belittling someone because of a disability is not discrimination, but is it against the law? In my time, it was not. And uh, I left the University of Utah after that, went to Weber State, and wasn't sure what I was going to do, if I was going to even try to play professionally. But my, my senior year, I led the nation in rebounding and had a great season. And there was an opportunity to try to play pro. And I first went overseas to Europe, to Turkey and France and Spain, and then went to the minor leagues, toiled there at first as the last guy on the team, making $1,200 a month, uh, not playing at all. But then within a week, starting center broke his leg, back up, starting backup center got recalled to his NBA team. And by default, I became the starter. And my first game on the road as a starter, I gave him 30 points and 10 rebounds. And everyone's like, what did this, what did this white guy come from, right? And it was me choosing during those times, those weeks when I was not playing for like six straight weeks, that practice time was my game time. And choosing to, when we're in a fast break and my teammates don't need me, I'm still going to run with them. And when they make the layup, choosing to go one stride further underneath the hoop, touching the baseline and getting back, getting in that extra stride. And that's how I was going to be ready because I knew, I believe in the laws of physics for every action is an opposite and equal reaction. And I knew I would just needed one shot and I would get one call and I was going to be ready. And I kept building from there and eventually I was called up to the Cleveland Cavaliers and joined LeBron and company in 2008 and became the first legally deaf player in the NBA. And something that people say could never be done, my first game in the eighth grade, I was ejected because the ref thought I was ignoring him. And uh, people were already placing limitations on me then and there, and I just said, watch me. And so now I'm in a fortunate position as an inspirational speaker, an author. I, I use that platform to not only connect with people at a deeper level now as a speaker, no longer just running around half naked, putting a ball in the hoop, distracting people, but connecting with them and using my experiences. I'm not a raw motivational speaker. I actually get my message is clarity that, yeah, I made the NBA, but guess what? My self-worth was nowhere to be found. I was shooting a free throw in front of 16,000 people and it hit me like a, ton of bricks in the face that was, is this it? Is this the best of the guess? I don't feel any different. Because I still had a deep-rooted belief from my childhood in polygamy with it being impressed upon me by a Sunday school teacher that God made me deaf as a form of punishment. And so I had this deep-rooted subconscious belief that I had to earn love, that I had to do something superhuman. But you don't have to grow up in a polygamous cult to have that. A lot of our Western society dictates that already that we're such a left-brain masculine culture that your worth is only measured by your external material things. And that's an illusion. That's just a story that our culture has perpetuated. What? You grew up in polygamy? What was that like? I don't get it. Why would people do that? Why would they stay? I can never be a second or a third wife. 
not that complicated, really. It's what they know. It's the world they grew up in. And they know what the boundaries and the rules are. And they're told to stay inside those boundaries. The physical boundaries of the commune, and furthermore, the mental and emotional boundaries. Stay inside those boundaries and you will always be safe. Safe from pain. Most people will choose a familiar hell over an unfamiliar heaven. So now I ask you, what is your polygamy? What are the thought patterns you have inherited from your childhood, from your parents, your grandparents, your community, that you've taken with you into your adult life? What are the stories and perceived truths that still linger, that are maybe sabotaging your adult experience? What are the boundaries and comfort zones you have settled in, never daring to take risk? Physically escaping from polygamy at the age of 13, for me, was the easy part. Mentally and emotionally escaping, far different story. And so I use my platform to Trojan horse it in a way, to go to these corporate events where people think I'm just going to rob rah them, but actually spin it around and get them to check their stories. And our culture is our biggest blind spot. Um, playing all around the world on every continent, everyone and their mother thinks their values are the best values. Every league says their league is the toughest league in the world. And if everyone's saying that, then it's a wash. And so much of our stories come from our culture. And so much of our pain comes from our stories and the stories we tell ourselves. It's not that the experience or the event did not happen. It's how you choose to narrate and tell the story and recall the event. That's in question. Do you tell it from a victim or from a child? Or do you tell it with a teacher archetype? And getting people to check their stories is one of my favorite things I love to do at the corporate level or individual coaching level or the retreat level. And I also get to use that with youth in my nonprofit, Courage and Grit. And Courage and Grit is where I work with at-risk youth kids with hearing loss, deaf kids, and Native American kids especially, but kids all over, inner city, rural. Working with them, again, drawing them in through the lure of basketball. And they think it's just going to be another basketball nonprofit. It's not. that I use basketball to begin to teach them soft skills, emotional intelligence, reflection skills. And these kids get to be with me learning basketball when they turn around and help me coach special needs kids where they're learning that service is leadership and service is abundance. People think abundance is a dollar bill. It's not. Abundance is something that is limitless. That's endless. And that's service. I don't have to have any money to pick up a shovel and help someone else dig a trench. That is limitless, that is infinite, and that is true abundance. And when you see the world through that lens, choosing to always be of service, you're wealthy than you could ever hope to be. That you're not ever in lack, you're never in want. When you know I can help anybody anytime, that's how much wealth I have to offer the world and the universe. And so, uh, 
this year was going to be a fun year until the pandemic hit. Uh, I was going to take the, some kids on a trip down to Guatemala where I was going to fit people with hearing aids provided to me by one of the hearing aid companies I've spoken for. But that leads us to the whole conversation of the pandemic and uh, how do we flow and adapt with that? And do I walk my talk of helping people learn to adapt and flow? And as a basketball player, I choose, I'm viewing this whole thing as a basketball player that we've all been benched. And do I want to throw a temper tantrum and scream at my coach, which only delays the opportunity of me getting back out there or do I sit and do I breathe and do I choose to flow and adapt with this? And, um, that is a lot of people having the hard time of letting go of the illusion of control. We live in such a stat driven world, but as a basketball player, we'll all tell you stats don't, Stats inform us, but they don't drive us. That you can have all the pregame scouting and data all you want, but we're not naive enough to think that the, new, that the team is going to come out with a new play or a new wrinkle, a new offensive structure every game. And we don't throw a fit and say, wait, that's not what the stats said. That's not fair. You have to learn to adapt and flow. And that's what the athletes do. We... We show the world the message of the importance of walking the path of the heart, which is being in your body, which is masculine and feminine. It's masculine to shoot the ball. It's feminine to pass the ball. If you are always shooting the ball, hyper-masculine, you're easy to guard. You're one-dimensional. If you're always passing the ball, being passive, you're easy to guard. You're one-dimensional. And people... It's funny how you have the CEOs that love to go to the front row of the sporting events and cheer the athlete for making the great instinctive play, trusting their intuition when the play was broken. And then the next day, the CEO goes to work and they're hamstring their employees and say, well, what did the stats say? Failing to learn the lesson that, again, stats don't drive us, but they do inform us. You still have to be able to go out and play ball and flow and adapt with life. And so these, this approach to the pandemic that I have right now, this is very much what I do with the youth encouraging grit and my coaching clients, truly always tapping into the zone. The zone can be with, with us wherever we go. The zone is what the athlete calls, you know, when they're on fire and they're just playing lights out. We're not in our head. We're in our body. We're not thinking about things. We're not analyzing things. We're not aiming our shots. When you aim your shot is when you miss it because that's when you're trying to control. All you can do is rely on the foundation and the discipline and make sure your structure is sound and let the ball fly, trusting that it's going to go where it's supposed to go because that's what happened. Yeah. And you allow it and you accept it and you flow. And so a lot of that is, that's the best way I can summarize who I do, who I, who I am and what I do in 10 minutes, Natalie. <laughs> and I love that too, because I know that you talked about um, soft skills and I wondered what the soft skills were mm-hmm. and how you incorporated it. And it makes a lot more sense now. And, and I think it's incredible that 
I'm sure you started this with your coaching clients initially mm-hmm. and um, even businesses and corporations that you spoke with, right? Yeah. But to be able to teach that to kids and then in a way so that they internalize it so that they can turn around and then you know, teach the kids behind them or, you know, mm-hmm. other kids that they can see might, might benefit. Um, that's a feat in itself, you know? So I, I'm always interested because, um, especially with your background, mm-hmm. how did you become who you are as far as, um, uh, giving back, you know, was it a parent? Was it a role model? You know, who, what gave you this, this urge to turn, um, or, or maybe how you lived your yeah. life to end up giving back? Yeah. Um, hmm. um, my mother did not grow up in polygamy. My grandmother joined the all red group. My grandfather was the leader. My paternal grandfather was the leader. So my maternal grandmother joined uh, later on after she went through a pretty bad divorce with my maternal grandfather. And she wanted a sense of something, a sense of community or belonging. But my grandmother was this big, giant, six-foot-one, fiery, auburn, red-headed woman that was very gruff. Um, but she was always the first person to show up and help. And she taught me the beauty of service and the power of service. And that came from my, and that passed down through my mother and my parents taught me that. But there's also, when I was four, my my mom began taking me to uh, basically a special needs preschool in Missoula, Montana. It was a 40 minute drive both ways. And one day, my teacher had me write my name on a blue heart. And I remember well because I spelled it like pants, L-A-N-T-S. And I asked her, what is this for? And she said, "Um, we don't really know their name, but someone gave a lot of money so you could go here. I still don't know who that person was. Um, but someone gave me a fighting chance. And all I can do to tell them thank you is pay it forward. And so that was uh, always been one of the great motivators of why I never quit not making the NBA till I was 27 years old. It's just 20, which is seven years longer than the average rookie. Um, knowing that if I didn't give up, I would develop a platform to um, help many other marginalized voices. Yeah. Yeah. And you're doing it too. And it's, and it's, it's incredible to watch and how you have to move and shift to with, with even this, you know, like before the pandemic started, even, I mean, you were out there, you're traveling, you were doing, you know, the speaking gigs and you share, I mean, for people who want to follow Lance, follow him because he's the most true and real that you can watch because he shares, it's not all, you know, glory and glamour. It is, the travel life of a speaker, but 
the motivation behind what you're doing is, is absolutely incredible. And I know you also have a son too, that is watching every step that you're making. And, you know, whether you're home or whether you're not, you know, I fought this for many years as well, that I'm constantly doing something. And I feel like I'm not the mom that sits down Mm -hmm. and does things, you know, with the kids, but I do in my own way, mm-hmm. but I do notice as the kids grow older and your son is, is, is younger than, than my, uh, both of my kids, but um, they're noticing different things. And so they're getting that entrepreneurial spirit. I'm, I just, I can't wait till your son is, um, is older too, because he's going to pick up on all the things that you're doing and have that same heart, um, you know, and, and it's incredible to watch. And, and what I was saying was even with this pandemic, I've seen that you shifted though. Yes, your, your book just came out and I was reading that post that you made too about, okay, this is the second time that you released a book and, and something kind of hit where you weren't able to make those things. But now you've converted everything into online learning. You know, you can, you've converted even your speaking things into mm-hmm. online and, and how people can reach you. So, right. so with that entrepreneurial spirit and that perseverance and that grit, you have to keep going no matter what, you know? Yes. And, and I love that story. Um, it gave me chills of that anonymous donor too, because it makes sense of why your life is, is how it is. You know, you're going to do everything possible to just continue that on. And, and that's, that's so special. And you might not ever know, you know, who that is, but holy cow, what a gift, what a gift that you received. That's amazing. It is. And um, our kids are sharp. A lot of times we think our kids are just these brain stems walking around, but they're not. They're absorbing so much. And the beauty of it, though, is, well, I transitioned out of basketball because I was going through a divorce. I didn't want to be away from my son. And he was only 15 months old at the time, five years ago. And he became a beautiful mirror for me. And me teaching him to take a breath, calm down, and express his feelings gave myself permission to do the same. And um, yeah, he's going to learn from me, but I'm already learning from him. We're just a beautiful set of mirrors for each other. Yeah. And yes, I'm excited to see how he pivots on what I'm doing to make his own little stamp on the world. Yeah, yeah. And I, I can, I was thinking about the alpha male and thinking if that started, um, you know, because of the lessons that you're le- learning from your son and what you're teaching your son as well, uh, just with yes. your new book. Yeah, yeah, really. Um, the new alpha male, How to Win the Game When the Rules Are Changing. Um, don't be deceived. It's a book for women and men. Mm-hmm. Um, Yes, a lot of the the anecdotal things are geared towards men who, like me, grew up in the Cold War era, where the most trophies, the most nuclear weapons, the most brass belt buckles, what makes is what makes you a man. Um, and helping men develop new coping skills to move out of that narrative, that story, but also helping women understand where the men that world are coming from so they can meet with compassion. Because 
rightfully so, and it's exciting to see women moving into new positions, being able to be much more diversified and dynamic as they rightfully are. And with that, we have a lot of pushback from women too, saying men need to, they're, they're being dinosaurs, they're being stubborn and whatnot. There isn't a lot of compassion that instead of it's like, oh, well, now you know what it feels like to be worried about losing your job, that they say to a man who's worried about, you know, hey, um, my job's being outsourced, you know? There's not a lot of compassion is going around. But compassion is what brings about systemic change. Reaction has never brought about systemic change in this world. Gandhi, Mandela, Martin Luther King, they brought change into the world through compassion and response, never reaction. And right now we live in a hyper-polarized reactionary culture with cable news 24-7 creating the illusion in people's head that we have to choose a side, a tribe, to belong. And that's just a story. Getting people to understand that those who have been most wronged in this world, abused, betrayed, beaten, wounded, they have the great duty of being the one to be bravest, to stop just short of an eye for an eye and give compassion into the world. Is it fair at the, um, I don't know, fair at the statistical, uh, what's fair is number sense? No. But it is fair that they learn the true meaning of grace and compassion. So they're coming out ahead. And that's what this world needs at this time. And so my seven principles of perseverance, yes, they're the spine of the book and they're for everybody. But the real great intention of it is to get the world to come together through the game of basketball that I use to help us all become better ball players with life and move about with compassion is open-hearted, which is how we all tap into the zone and just dance with life instead of trying to control it. I love that. So let's talk about courage and grit. And when did you start everything? Well, when did everything start coming together for that? Courage and grit was formed two years ago, but it wasn't until fall of 2019 that many other things that I was working on getting aligned finally came into alignment that I really could start getting the message of courage and grit out there and start raising funds getting donations for hearing aids for me to um, go and work with kids to provide them food uh, clothes equipment but then also have hearing aids to fit people with in the community. That actually didn't really start appearing until the fall of 2019. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was an idea I had in my head for about three years. Um, kind of sat with it because, you know, we can only be so many places at one time. And when you're growing just the speaking career, it's like, all right, I, I, I can't stretch myself here. I have to be logical about it. And um, so, yeah, fall of 2019 is when it really all started to come together. 
Okay. And then it looks like you started holding sessions in about January, 2020. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, and they looked incredible. It looked like um, there were a few out in California, Nevada. Yes, there were. Uh, My very first event actually was up in British Columbia in the fall of 2019 when I was up with the Native American reservation there working with kids on basketball, but able to help some kids, uh, you know, again, with the soft skills and the communication things. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, that was the first, that was a maiden voyage up north. <laughs> but um, California and Las Vegas have definitely been uh, the best spots right now, working with um, No Limits Society um, and uh, Boys and Girls Clubs. That's right. And, I, and I've been able, so what I do Instead of it being, you know, snake oil or like snake oil salesman over here, but then selling watches on the other uh, lapel, um, it's wherever I go and speak at a corporate event, I plan ahead and I work with those in the community with the Boys and Girls Clubs and uh, any sort of deaf group. Uh, I tie it all in. So while I'm there, I can mm. kill as many birds with one stone. That makes sense. Okay, because that was one of my questions too, is is how does it all work? And so if people wanted to, um, you know, help out with putting on a session or a camp, or they have an organization that they say this would be perfect for, you know, if it is another boys and girls club or whatever it is, is, would be the first way to be, um, would be to check out your speaking schedule, you know, in the different towns or, you know what I mean? Or what would, how would this all work as far as if I was an organization that was listening to this Mm -hmm. and, you know, just was clued in and loved what you did, how would I get Uh, that started if I was an organization? um, I I have a a group of people that kind of help me that once I get a speaking engagement, I send them the date and they just start reaching out to the boys and girls clubs and finding the deaf communities. Um, But I let every corporation know when I go there, Mm. you're sponsoring me to help the youth in the community here. And so I give them a plaque, a thank you, acknowledging that uh, Courage and Grit thanks you as this company empowering us to help the youth in 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 this area. And so... I would tell people one of the ways you can help out is, hey, you know, my company can only, we don't have the biggest budget, but, you know, we could probably pay you $5,000 to come speak. And, hey, that's fine because if you're able to get me there, so I'm not always paying out of pocket, I wish I had the amount of money where I could fly everywhere and visit everyone, but I don't. And you can just get me there then yeah, I'll also let you kind of decide how you want the community impact arm of my trip to play out. And if you're someone right now who is uh, working in a nonprofit or a boys and girls club and you want me to come work with your youth, you'd be surprised how many businesses in your community, if you went and told them, hey, we can get Lance Walrid to come not only speak for you, but he'll come and work with our youth, two birds, one stone, um, for, and he's not going to charge us double or extra. He's just going to charge us a simple flat fee to get him out there. Um, everyone's going to kind of win with this. And so just learning to really, 
make it um, very symbiotic. That the nonprofit is very synergistic with my speaking career, that I can just kind of put it in my backpack and take it with me wherever I go. Yeah, which is cool too, because the businesses and the corporations that are, you know, hiring you to come speak, do some, you know, leadership training, whatever it is, they probably didn't even think about that. And what better way to be involved in not only bringing a speaker, but bringing, you know, this activity and, and, you know, we brought him out here and it's like, you're a package deal. You come with that part, like your arm, like you said. So, you know, that's just adding another uh, positive for businesses to hire you to come out and speak and do things like that. Yeah, it. Um, and I tell them, hey, yeah, you're paying me this fee, but I'm giving you far more in PR value. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and that is smart. So, so yeah. uh, a lot of people really jump on that, and they're figuring it out. Um, but you know, sadly, some corporations don't care. <laughs> I know. It's so funny. You know, I always think that, um, why wouldn't you care? You know what I mean? It's just, I don't know what it is. Or I see a lot of different posts and I see a lot of different things, you know, people helping people, especially during this time, which is great. I've done so many different, um, you know, shows with small businesses and just getting it out there for people, just Mm -hmm. giving opportunities for people to help give back. And I'm like, what? Like nobody's, there's a lot of people that aren't interested. And I, it's just, it's funny yeah. because when you, cu- when you have this heart to serve, that's all you think about. So you right. always find different avenues to get mm-hmm. other people involved, to give them the opportunities. And it's fine. Some people just aren't, you know, as um, interested, which way. is totally it's fine. Okay. Yeah, totally fine. But it is funny. I always kind of sit back and laugh, but um Okay, so you know, with with your sessions and your camps with Courage and Grit, and I and I know that it's very early on. Start, you know, seeing that you've had maybe you know three different ones, mm-hmm. but I, I'm really curious because you do have to. I was reading through the website, and it's a great rep- website for people uh, to check out, and we're going to have it in the show notes, but there's nominations and there are, I mean, it's very clear. And, and I love this part of it that you want kids and you want people to be involved that are going to be motivated. Right. And so there's sort of this vetting or recommendation process that it looks like for these underserved kids that might not have this opportunity otherwise. So when you're running these camps, um, are you finding out that even through the recommendation process that these kids are more motivated? And do you find these shining stars that you're working with? Oh yeah. Um, And I tell people, I'm not looking for the 4.0 students. And I'm saying this kindly, 4.0 students usually mean that they'll be good employees for a corporation. I want the kids who think outside the box. I want the kids who see the world in a different way and are stubborn or incorrigible enough with quotes to ask questions that people don't want asked. I want the kids who are able to see the world in a different lens because, as you know, that's an entrepreneurial edge. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to find kids that are being marginalized that have an entrepreneurial grit to them where I can teach them to be self-serving, self-reliant, self-sustaining, that will then empower them to truly be leaders of service. And um, because, yes, 
when you go work for a corporation, you're kind of put into a spot and you only have so much control over what is this corporation going to do to give back. But if I can raise these kids that are being overlooked, that aren't being found, and give them some emotional intelligence skills, soft skills, communication skills, and uh, the stamina to go through a lot of ups and downs and bumps and bruises that it takes to be an entrepreneur, that they will come out finding themselves in the position to truly be empowered to give back to others. Yeah. So those are the kind of kids that I'm looking for. And so the vetting process is, yeah, you have to have a letter of recommendation from a teacher or a religious figure or whoever, some sort of a figure in your community that has a voice that sees you and acknowledges you. And because I don't need to be baby, I don't need to be babysitting kids. Mm-hmm. It's not my job to motivate them. And that people, that's the, that's the big misnomer that corporations have. I need you to motivate my team. I'm like, that's not, I can't do that. That's, that's, you're asking for the impossible. But if you want your employees to be motivated, I tell them, let them have some equity in the game, meaning some emotional equity, because all these corporations say, these are our three corporate principles. And we need everyone to get in line. I'm like, mm. well, did you ask your employees what principles or values they want? If you do that, now they'll have emotional skin in the game. And that's that's my little tangent there where people are trying to get me to motivate others. But as far as the kids go, it's like, yeah, I I want the kids who already have that chip on their shoulder, that wild Mustang, that stallion that people have given up on thinking they're just ODD, mm-hmm. when really I just say, no, they just need you to stop trying to fit them into a square hole when they're around peg. Yeah. Yeah. And that's awesome because it, even as a kid, like, do you remember when you were a kid too? I, there weren't even those types of people that were helping us think that way, I, no. I feel, you know? And, and it's like, there's such a different way of, of life now, raising our own kids, that yeah. the way that you're trying to find these kids are, um, it's giving them a chance to think for themselves yeah. um, early on, you know, where, you know, as I sit here and I think, and I listen to you talk about that, I just look at, think of my childhood and, and think, wow, okay, I attended camps, but like, yeah, it really was. It's because you stick your kid in a camp because <laughs> it's something to do, you know, right. and it gets them off their phones or whatever it is. And, and I also noticed that your camps are, um, they're not huge, you know, but it, it makes for an intimate environment so that you can have these conversations with these kids. You know, Absolutely. I think you limit it, you said to about 20-ish or so, right? Yeah, about 20-ish um, because, again, I, I, this is what I tell other nonprofits, Boys and Girls Club, United Way, I'm not here to take money from you. Mm-hmm. I'm simply an add-on, a Lego piece that you can fit onto your nonprofit that you give me some of your kids and I'll make everyone look good. Yeah. I'm here just to compliment you. That's it. Because as you know, in the nonprofit world, there is a strain of scarcity that goes around. That everyone thinks they're competing for the same dollar. Yeah. I'm, like, I'm not competing for your money. And so just letting people know that I'm coming to compliment you and amplify you, um, that allows me to kind of be 
not a chameleon because I'm still very transparent in what I'm doing, but mm-hmm. being able to go through all these different organizations and partner with so many people. Mm-hmm. And so I tell them, hey, you're a Boys and Girls Club. You got 200, but I need your 20. I need your 20 that you know have that edge to them that just need a little more focus, mm-hmm. um, concerted uh, mentorship to help them uh, really fine tune it and get it precise, all that angst that they have and let's channel it into a drive that takes some places. Yeah, and I bet you those organizations know, you know, who these kids oh, yeah. are already. Yeah, for sure. Do, for sure. Yeah, and I think it's smart to work with organizations because it's something that's already going on. It's not like you're coming in and you're trying to find the kids from wherever, you know. Yes. It, it is, you're going through an organization, which, again, that's kind of safe because, you know, the people that you work, it's, it's quicker to set up, I should say. Absolutely, you know? save yeah. so much time. Yeah, I'm not out there trying to reinvent the world. It's just saving time, Um, building on the shoulders of giants, basically, is all I'm doing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Okay, so you teach about accountability, community, confidence, discipline, gratitude, leadership, perseverance, perspective, and courage. So is there any character trait that you see kids of this age struggle with learning and overcoming or one that's maybe easy for them or quick for them to understand? So whether they struggle or something that's quick, because Um, these terms are big, you know, and the kids that you're working with, I mean, like I said, back in the day when I was a kid, I'm like, you talk to me about that kind of stuff. And I'm like, I don't know what, you know, I don't know if I would have had the mental capacity to be able to do that. So do they struggle? Do they get it through? The, 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 yes and no. And the big one I tell people is perseverance mm-hmm. because kids have grown up in the digital age of social media and video games that teach them instant gratification that teach them, oh, I've been playing this video game for two hours. I'm a total master at it now. And they think success should be quick. And social media says, oh, yeah, I mean, I can buy my likes. I can buy my followers and be an instant success and influence or all those illusions. And so a lot of kids are operating with this false inner narrative that says, oh, I failed at something. It means I suck. It means I'm not good enough to be successful at it. And I get to go in there and say, no. Again, I didn't make the MBA until I was 27, seven years longer than my peers, but choosing to get up and keep playing on every time I got knocked down. So teaching them that perseverance, um, and I, uh, you can define perseverance so many ways, but the way I like to define it is stubbornness is the inability to adapt. Perseverance is the ability to adapt. Mm. Uh, You have a lot of people digging in their heels, trying to make it be one way, and it has to look this way. And that is how you become extinct. That's how you become irrelevant. But perseverance is the ability to adapt and flow and pivot with life while keeping your eye on the long-term goal. Understanding you're probably not going to get there the way you thought you're going to get there. And it's not going to look like the way you thought it was going to look like. Mm-hmm. But as a basketball player, as the refs start calling the game differently in the third quarter than they were in the first quarter, I could throw a temper tantrum and say, that's not fair. It needs to go back to the way it was. Mm-hmm. And I'll lose the game. 
or I can say, all right, the game has changed. I have to get in my body in the moment and be ready to pivot and adapt with it, with life. And so I would say the biggest one that I have to offer to kids, to all those uh, soft skills and uh, characteristics and attributes you just went through, uh, perseverance is the one that I really have to hammer home with them and I work with them on. And I love all the basketball analogies because I feel like that helps them understand it, whether they are a basketball player or not, right. you know, being able to explain it in those types of terms where they can imagine it and see it happening in their head while you're talking. Um, right. and, I, and it's not only for kids. I can see it like while you were saying that, I was like, oh yeah, you know, and it's, and then you're reaching the adults as well, you know. The oh yeah, no, uh, never underestimate the power of a sports metaphor. Mm-hmm. And so being able to go to the corporate level and get people to do some new rewiring of logic in their brain. Because again, we've been so decapitated from our bodies in the stat-driven world that our, we think our brain has all the answers. But the head is logic, the heart is intuition, the gut is instinct. You have to have all three. And the athlete uses all three. We use the brain to quickly recall experience and a memory of what happened after we tried that. No, it doesn't work. But if you're always in your brain, you're overanalyzing, you're a step behind, and you're going to lose the game. It's a balance of being in your heart and your gut, trusting your intuition and the instinct of muscle memory Mm -hmm. and the brain of filtering experiences to help it get to your body. Um, and so many people have gone trapped in the brain and they can't get out of their brain. And so using the game of basketball to give people permission to get into their body and start trusting their intuition more, whether it's teenagers or adults, um, it's fascinating to see that it, it, it goes to all ages. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And I'm sitting here thinking, okay, how did you learn all this too? You know, was it time on the road when you were traveling? Was it, you know, are you just a pensive person where you sit and think a lot about a lot of things? You know, how did you make all this relation to, um, to sports, to analogies, to, you know, Um, anything to, to make it come out to, to deliver your message, how you deliver your message? Great question. When your grandfather is a polygamous cult leader who has the gift of gab, able to get 7,000 people to give him all his money and seven women to marry him, he obviously had game, right? So obviously some of us inherited the ability to articulate thought. That comes from my father as well. He was groomed to be the heir of the group before we left. But with the hearing loss, I've always been very introverted. I just watch people and living in between worlds, not fully signing, not fully of the hearing world. There were no amenities to learn sign language. And it's funny, I get a lot of, I have this really hot, cold relationship with the signing community because they're like, oh, Lance already, he's a great hero for the deaf community, but too bad he's speaking. (laughs) Like, is he embarrassed to be deaf? And it's like, well, first off, were you born and raised in a polygamous cult? No. Number two, let's be real. Let's be 100% honest. If I had been given the comfort zone of sign language to stay inside my comfort zone and not have to deal with bullying and adversity 
for my speech and my hearing, I would not have developed the stamina and the wherewithal to persevere like I did. The, um, just the threshold of discomfort that allowed me to travel the world as a deaf kid, speaking broken English with people all over the world on the way towards a dream. If I had been able to rely completely on sign language, I would not have gone and done it. And nor would the world have stopped and held my hand and make sure my feelings were safe and brought in a translator wherever I went. That would not have happened. So you can't have it both ways, is what I tell the signing community. And so with that, living in between worlds, I've always been an observer of humans and culture. I'm fascinated with humans and what makes us tick. I just watch them. Seeing the patterns we operate in when we're just mindlessly, subconsciously going about the world. And my parents also encouraged me to read and write as a form of communication. I learned to read first, and then I would watch people read. And that's how I began to really figure out how to read their lips. And so expressing myself through the written word, I was a kid who won writing awards in elementary school before it was cool, right? Again, I didn't play basketball then. And so when I started playing basketball, I really, I was just a writer who happened to play basketball. I wasn't a basketball player who also happened to be a writer. It was the former. And so introspection and reflection has always been my process of how I love when everyone goes to sleep, take my hearing aids out at night and just have some quiet time and not have to be processing, reading people's lips, taking the IOUs, the vowel shifts, and piecing it together in the context of a conversation. Okay. They probably asked me this or maybe this, but no, it was the third question. So they're probably asking me, where did I play college ball? Just always working through the patterns. It's tiring. And so I like being able to take my hearing aids out at night and just decompress and reflect. And so that skill, and I'll say it's a skill, because um, if everyone had the gift of reflection, they would use it. But as you learn that, as you develop it, you realize that most of the world does not have the skill of self-reflection. And so being able to take all those life experiences that I first thought was a, an inconvenience or, uh, you know, whatever words you want to use that, Oh, I have hearing loss. I can't speak well. It all sucks. But seeing how all of it prepared me and my sixth grade teacher, Mrs. Aston, now Miss Ogden, but Mrs. Aston at the time, she sat me down one day, and this is long before Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers ever came out. And she said, Lance, we were having a rough time at the, that year together. We just were not meshing well. And she finally sat down, sat me down, and she put, sent everyone out to recess, and she made me stay back. And she said, Lance, I'm beginning to see that with your hearing loss, your brain has had to learn to see the world in a different way just to survive. And people are going to call you arrogant. They're going to call you stubborn. And promise me you will never conform. Mm -hmm. 
So that goes back to the entrepreneurial spirit too, that she gave me permission to be. And uh, so all those, again, quote, disabilities that life gave me um, allowed me to sharpen them and fine tune them and equip them or alchemize them in a different way that allows me to uh, see the world and operate in the world and show the world how to live in a very different way. And share it too, because that's another skill <clears throat> is the ability to not just self-reflect and, and, you know, come up with your thoughts, but be able to share it in a way that people can tune in and also benefit. So you, it seems like you were blessed with so many wonderful people that were angels almost, you know, in your life that yes, helped sure. shape you to who you are. Um, you know, do you have any projects or stories that maybe you've experienced that touch your heart just by just by giving back whether it's in with courage and grit or just by you giving back as a person um that help you continue to um either create or you know even bring in your son to learn how to give back you know what keeps you going to want to give back i'm gonna cheat a little bit and i'll tell you a story of when i was 17 years old that taught me the power of giving um, it was Christmas Eve, my junior year in high school, and I was buying presents at the last minute like any teenage boy does. And I was getting into my car and I saw this very old man with a cane trying to carry groceries to a bus stop in the snow and his bag broke. And... I went over to him and I helped him and I asked if I could give him a ride home. And he said, okay. His name was Mr. Harris, I believe. Was it Harris? Yeah. And um, I gave him a ride home and he shared with me that he had been a widow now for like 17 years. He was almost 90. And um, he shared with me some fun stories for about the 15 minute drive. And I was able to get him home, took his groceries in for him. And then after a few days after Christmas, I wife, you know, I'll go check on him, bring him some food, see if he's okay. And uh, I got there and his son opened the door and I asked if he's your dad home, I would have something for him. And he says, um, my father passed away on Christmas day. Oh. So, The fact that I got to be possibly his last human experience in this world just by stopping and seeing the world and watching it and saying, okay, service is abundance. I can serve at any time. That's limitless. And this is abundance. And I can give 15 minutes out of my time to help someone who obviously needs it. And um, just the gratitude I felt in my heart that I could help him leave the world with some grace and some dignity. Um, 
that is a lesson that will always be powerful for me as far as eternal fuel to always understand that yes we give and we serve but selfishly the one who always comes out ahead is the one who chooses to give and serve absolutely wow that is such a powerful experience and a story that you've had and again just a pivotal thing that created and helped you become who you are as well and Mm. again i'm sitting here watching you thinking And what an experience to share with your son too, when you might've already done it, you know, uh, when the time comes, but that, that's super powerful. Um, I'm glad that you were there for, for him as well. Um, That's really, really special. And a 17 year old boy um, where you might, you could have easily just turned in your car and just kept going. Right. Because you had things to do. Yeah. So that, that's, that was amazing. Yeah. And thank you for doing that too. Yeah. Um, Okay. So, you know, for people who are listening and tuning in and, and I know there's going to be so many people who you've touched through just this, this time that you spent with me, um, what might be some ways that they can help you spread the word of what you're doing or what are your needs? You know, what are some of the things that can help you? I mean, never underestimate the power of word of mouth. And so if people, wherever you're out through the country, if you want me to come work with your youth, just reach out to your local companies, corporations, or a business you work for, or your nearby school. I mean, if your high school has a budget to fly me out and have me speak for their honest, transparent budget, I'll come. It's not a problem. Yeah. Um, and so just getting that message out through word of mouth is still more powerful than anything because just because a video goes viral mm-hmm. does not necessarily mean it converts mm-hmm. to action. What converts to action is word of mouth. Mm-hmm. And so you can never underestimate that. So anyone taking the time to just go to their business they work for or the school their kids attend and say, hey, can we all pitch in as a community to have Lance come speak to the school, but then he'll work with this specific group of kids in basketball, but then he'll also do another pit stop with a local company Mm -hmm. that was able to contribute a small amount to the funds and work with their employees. Um, It's all one-stop shopping for me. I don't double dip. It's just, hey, you pay me that flat fee, whatever you guys can afford, and I'll get there. And so just the power of word of mouth um, that's what anyone can always do to help me. And I remember it. I remember people who stick out their necks and vouch for me and give me an opportunity to go walk the talk and not just be this talking guru, yeah. but to actually get out there and do it and live it. And so I remember the people who do that for me. And I also want to throw in, you know, word of mouth is super powerful, but because I believe so much in connection that when you share by word of mouth, 
you have to share what it is that you connected with. So that way, you know, as you're sharing your heart and, and why this is so important to you, that might actually connect to somebody. So while you're listening mm-hmm. to this whole podcast um, or watching it, right? Because mm-hmm. I think we're going to do video with this. If there's something that at some point in this last, you know, hour that I spent with Lance that touched you in a certain way, remember that feeling. And that's what you need to share when you share that word of mouth, you know, uh, of what he's doing. And why was it so important to you when you heard that particular, whatever it was, the story, whatever he's doing, you know, things like that. Um, Do you know, there's just so many things that, um, you know, if you have, if you feel this connection, when you are sharing by word of mouth, I do want to encourage people to not just, um, you know, it's just like on a social media post. If you read something and it, talks to you mm-hmm. instead of just sharing and hit reshare say something about what it means to you because that's going to go a lot further of making that connection with somebody else that you don't know um, really you might not point. even know why you're doing really it point. but um, yeah. it's going to reach somebody for sure um okay so my my very last question i have and and then i'll let you go is um what might be one piece of advice that you have that you can share with my listeners to just themselves if they're listening to make this world a better place uh, making the world a better place we have been taught as humans that you can't feel multiple or even contradicting emotions at the same time but you can the earth is half light half dark at all times daylight and nighttime if the earth was always in daylight the plants would die and we would die you have to have a balance of dark and light. So what I mean by that, going further, learning to be able in one hand to hold the heartbreak of life and the death of dreams and the loss of loved ones and the heartbreak that comes with the understanding that our scars are the timeline of our grit. On the other hand, holding gratitude with that clarity that your scars are the timeline of your grit are the lessons that they taught you the lessons of clarity. And I, I tell people happiness is not what the movies tell us that, oh, you get married and happily ever after, that's satisfaction. Happiness is clarity. That through the death of dreams and the illusions that fall around you as you continue the movie through life, you see all the stories begin to fade away and you're left with clarity. The clarity of being able to walk the path of the heart which is saying life is many things at the same time. And I can hold the heartbreak of a lost marriage, of a death of an MBA dream in one hand. And on the other hand, I can hold the gratitude for all the experiences and clarity those lessons set me up for. And I can hold them both in my heart at the same time. And that is walking in a heart-centered way in life no longer living in the extreme polarities where we feel we have to shame our feelings shame our emotions and then we lash out in reaction but learning to be present in your heart able to hold the balance of both dark and light that's walking the path of the heart and that's how you walk in beauty as um, many of my uh, indigenous friends uh, would share with me and so learning to walk open-hearted is more of what this world needs. And I hope everyone understands that is brave. Anyone can puff their chest and be bravado. That's not hard to do. 
So is it alpha? No. Alpha is being able to do something brave that is against the grain, that makes people uncomfortable enough to make them stop and say, what the hell are they doing? By walking so open-hearted that it's blinding them. They're playing on a different game board now. And so choosing to leave this game board of extreme polarity, moving into another game board of open-heartedness and clarity, that's what this world is needing at this time. I choose clarity. I choose to empower myself with the accountability of choice. We spend our lives giving away our power by how we speak. I have to go pick up my kids from school. I need to turn in my quarterly reports. What if, what if we began speaking like this? I choose to go pick up my kids from school. I choose to turn in my quarterly reports tomorrow. I choose not to color coordinate family photos this year, mom, sorry. This is far more difficult than it sounds when you try it because we have been so conditioned to give away our will and our choice by how we speak. I have to, I need to, I want to, I could, I should. I choose. I choose to empower myself with the accountability of choice. I choose to ask myself with each thought, is this Lance thinking or is it my polygamous thought patterns thinking? Thought patterns that no longer serve me. I choose to no longer be a martyr like my grandfather. I choose the clarity that it is mental gymnastics to believe that my self-worth is ever in question. I choose the clarity that love is either unconditional or it is not love at all. I choose to be a leader of my own life. I choose it is my choice. It has always been my choice, just as it has always been your choice. This is how you escape your polygamy. Empower yourself with the accountability of choice. Be a leader of your own life. And now, as I say goodbye, on behalf of a five-year-old boy from rural Montana who could not hear nor speak very well, who spent thousands of hours in speech therapy practicing and practicing with the hope that one day he might, just might, become one of the greatest communicators in the world. On behalf of that five-year-old boy, thank you for allowing him to be heard. so much for tuning in to Connecting a Better World, and thank you, NOCO FM, for supporting this show. If you haven't heard, NOCO FM is dedicated to bringing diverse voices and spotlighting a unique culture to Fort Collins and beyond. For more information, please visit www.noco.fm.
If you connected to something in this episode, we would love to hear from you. Our contact info will be listed in the show notes, as well as you can reach us on our social media channels. Please feel free to share our podcast with your friends and loved ones. For more shows, please tune in to noco.fm online. This has been a production of NoCo FM.